This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to talk about the amazing performance by Gilbert Burns and his big win on Saturday over Tyron Woodley. We're also going to talk about John Jones versus Dana. The war of words continues. Plus, what is next for Tyron Woodley after Saturday's loss? We'll get to that. Mark Montoya also joins the show to recap his winning fighters' performances from Saturday, as well as some of the criticism he's going to respond to from the Smith and Teixeira fight where he cornered. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Cobb, let me get your reactions very quickly. I mean, we were pretty much in lockstep. I think I had picked Tyron to win and you, Gilbert, but I don't think we were very far apart on who we, you know, what we thought the, the, the challenge was here. But I wanted to get your impressions very quickly. Dude, how impressive was Gilbert Burns on Saturday night? Was that not incredible? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny. I saw people... <laughs> trying to give Dean crap for talking like, oh, Dean was on Lou Thomas' show saying that Tyron was in the best shape ever, blah, blah, blah. But I believe all that. I think Burns was just that much better. Yeah, I mean, why, here's the thing. Dean came on the show, Dean Thomas came on the show on Friday and said exactly what you, you had just described, which is that, you know, he's like, hey, we, we crossed the T's and dotted the I's. First of all, Tyron said that as well in his post-fight Instagram video, which we have some audio. We'll play it a little bit later in the show. Number one, that's true. Number two, why can't it be true that Tyron did everything in his power pre-fight to win, and then you just get there, you discover that doesn't matter because it was the other guy's night, or they're just that much better, or you know whatever the case may be. But a different discussion for a different time. Let's just talk about Gilbert Burns here for a second. We're going to get into the implications of the win, maybe a little bit later, but I am so impressed by Gilbert Burns. As I indicated in the last segment, if you would have told me he would have won, that would have been no surprise. We knew that Tyron Woodley was up against it with Gilbert Burns. He had a real challenge on his hands. And if you had told me he would have won cleanly, even then I would be like, okay, I mean, you know, not every win has to be disputed per se. But if you had told me he was going to dominate in every single, not not just be better, but dominate in every single phase of the game, um, I guess he didn't dominate in the wrestling, but he was better there. So, okay, dominate in virtually every phase and better everywhere. I'm not sure I would have believed that. And that is exactly what we saw. Gilbert Burns had, first of all, the signature win of his career. He had the signature performance of his career. He showed himself to be incredibly well-rounded. He showed himself to be, frankly, I just thought, if you just watched what Tyron was doing and then you watched what Gilbert was doing, what you, the conclusion that I came away with was like, in the case of Gilbert, he just was, he had a wider array of skills and they were just, you could feel how much more modern they were. Everything was about misdirection. Everything was about variation. Everything was about making you go this way and then him attacking you the other. So let's break this down into different pieces. First of all, he drops Woodley in the first round he had this punch that he landed several times where they would kind of bait the right hand of woodley and he would slip off far to the side then land a right hand of his own then had the presence of mind to land uppercuts in the clinch gets on top and frankly to woodley's credit to get out from that position under a black belt like gilbert burns is incredibly impressive but he gets slashed up underneath you know a terrible way to start the fight he gets mounted so gilbert is showing all these positions of control the ability to execute damage on top of them he had the kind of mount where there's different kinds of mount so if someone is laying chest to chest on a mount and they're driving their hips in it's to really control somebody who's very very squirmy underneath Uh, but it can drain the person underneath because you're getting you know you're the person's driving their sort of their hips into you and it can it can it can be very exhausting for that to happen so credit to Woodley for getting up but why do I bring that up you know and there's a moment there where uh, Woodley or or excuse me Gilbert almost moved to S mount from uh, from mount but he he didn't make it work here's why I bring this up rather than trying to force a submission there and maybe he could have if he had wanted to what he decided to and was a case there and there's another one where he was riding the leg uh, later on in the fight and he let Tyron up he he went for punches and then um, separated 
what that showed me was he had the jiu-jitsu skills to control the fight for a while and still do damage, but he wasn't so committed to the position that it was that or bust. He had the fight IQ to realize, I can do this for a little while, I can drain, I can score. I'm not going to keep it forever, but I don't need to keep it forever because on the feet, I can do damage there. I'm not going to waste a bunch of energy seeking potentially low percentage situations just because I'm in an advantageous place with my jiu-jitsu in my back pocket. So he showed great jiu-jitsu skills, obviously great striking, and then really high fight IQ. Then later on in the fight, I mean, I, was, I couldn't believe this. I, the timing on his double legs was incredible. And I know not all of them worked, but the first one did. So first of all, Tyron Woodley gets taken down in uh, consecutive fights. I don't think it's ever happened before. He loses in consecutive fights. I don't think it's ever happened before. But Gilbert Burns had, I mean, the most impeccable timing on that double leg. It was a thing of beauty. Wow, I was blown away. So, so good. And you know, it just tells you like to have good timing like that. Yes, you have to know how to wrestle, but you have to know how to wrestle as a function of your own striking and as what of what your opponent was doing. They knew that the most potent weapon that Tyron Woodley had was the right hand, and they had a series of answers for it. So one of them was they would bait Woodley and he would come forward, and then you saw uh, Burns would kick him in the stomach as he moved forward with the right hand. That was one. The second one was the one I described that dropped Woodley in the first round where he would slip way off to the side and then throw his own right hand. That was the second one. There was a couple of left hook scenarios that they were incorporating, but the third one was they were trying to time the double underneath the right hand. They were consistently trying to take away the right hand from Tyron Woodley, and they were able to do it with this masterful execution from Gilbert Burns and that double leg that he landed and was able to keep for a while too, by the way. Uh, It wasn't just that he took it and then immediately Tyron sprung to his feet. No, 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 no. He scores it and then holds it for a little while. Now, second time, you know, Woodley had um, uh, stuffed it and it was another perfectly timed double leg. But the point being is, Gilbert Burns never got taken down. I'm not even sure if Woodley even attempted to take down. If he did, he didn't get very close. And Burns showing absolute skill there. So in close range, you had better shots from Gilbert Burns. At uh, kickboxing, the sort of boxing range, you had clearly better combinations, more effective landing, everything being setting up with a fakes and feints, pushing Tyron Woodley backwards. You had that. You had the taking away strategically of the right hand with the execution of many things, including but not limited to that double leg. And you just had somebody ready for his moment. Wow, dude, Gilbert Burns is truly incredible. I mean, this is a guy who lost in the first round to Dan Hooker. And I'm not saying that's like like Dan Hooker, some slouch, but it wasn't that long ago. I think it was 2018 when he lost to Dan Hooker and he lost fairly quickly. It, it didn't last very long. To me, the thing that I was worried about with Gilbert was, was he going to come charging in with and uh, in, in closing the distance into boxing range? Because remember, Woodley had a three-inch reach advantage. Would that be the thing that undoes him? Uh, undoes him, excuse me, because... That was the thing that undid him in a couple of fights. Well, certainly we either got hurt or lost, including that hooker fight. He got his timing split as he was closing the distance improperly, but this time he had it all worked out. Dude, he was just better than Tyron everywhere. Everywhere. It was, it was in the words of commentator Ray Hudson, a magisterial performance from Gilbert Burns. I, I don't know how you can watch that and not think he is capable of fighting anyone in that welterweight division. And at least if not winning, making a strong account of himself. And, you know, I'll say something too, that I brought up last week, which was, you know, I don't know how much his power translates up at welterweight. I don't know exactly, you know, what I'm a little bit skeptical of some of these guys who have gone from 155 to 170. It's not to say that they can't do that and win successfully, but you know, it's just you never know exactly how good they're going to get. And beating Kunchenko was a big deal for him. Beating Gunnar Nelson, beating Demi and Maya. These, these were all really important wins. But Tyron Woodley's a different animal in a lot of different respects. He fights different than them. And more importantly, and Maya was a guy, of course, used to be at 185. But in the case of Tyron, you know, here's a guy, a known power puncher, physical specimen, great defensive and offensive wrestler, explosive athlete. And a guy who couldn't make 155 if his life depended on it, 
right? And now you're Gilbert Burns and you, maybe you were cutting a lot of weight, but you could make 155 and now you were jumping up. But I don't think I got the sense that he was the better power puncher than Woodley. I don't know if that's true, but I got the sense that it didn't matter. And physically at welterweight, certainly in some of those grappling conditions, he was every part of Tyron's equal or better than him in terms of the physicality of the position. A lot of that is, is a function of technique, but he was not some guy where, you know, uh, consider the Mackenzie Dern and Hannah Cyphers fight. They were in the same weight class, but when they were locked up in sort of these neutral-ish positions or these positions of attempted control, and yes, Cyphers would have double underhooks a lot of times, so she would have a superior position, but you could just tell there was a strength differential. She was getting ragdolled a little bit, Mackenzie Dern, before she was able to turn the tide from underneath with her K-guard entry into the knee bar. Um, that was not the case with Gilbert Burns. He can absolutely hold his own from a technique position in this division. He can hold his own no matter where the fight goes. He went 25 minutes, I think, for the first time and absolutely managed all the rounds like a veteran. There was nothing that tripped him up. There was no part of this where he you know, was up against Tyron's either superior experience or higher fight IQ or greater physicality or the, the weight of, of Tyron's weapons. He was up for every single part of that challenge and shined like few can. You have to tip your hat to Gilbert Burns. And, and to, to Tyron Woodley's credit, you know, when it came time to explain what happened, all he could do was say, dude, the better guy won. I did prep. I did what I was supposed to. I trained in every way. You heard Dean Thomas on Friday say they didn't want any of the same distractions the first time around. They made sure that if they had to put in the extra rounds, they did. And if they had to just go and show up to the, the Airbnb they were renting and then the gym, they didn't even stop for food. They had it delivered to the house. They were focused. They were laser targeted. And Gilbert Burns still did all of that. Wow. Wow. Gilbert Burns is a contender. He has arrived. He might even be, depending on your perspective, the number one contender at this point. And he pitched a shutout in one of the most impressive coming of age from prospect to contender type performances I've ever seen. Absolutely blown away. Take my hat off to Gilbert Burns. What, what a commendable demonstration of modern MMA that that guy put on on Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada. This week on World of Basketball, director of USA Basketball, Jerry Colangelo, joined the show and spoke about how blown away he was by high schooler Kobe Bryant's workout ahead of the 1996 NBA draft. We brought him out for, for an interview and, uh, and a workout. I mean, even his physical presence at that time and his confidence level and his ability level was, it blew you away. I said this, and I know Jerry West said this, that it was the best workout they've ever, ever hit. Same, same applies to us in Phoenix. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. So John Jones, Jesus, man, go look at his Twitter feed. It's crazy. The guy is, uh, he looked like he had relinquished his title uh, on yesterday. I mean, Cobb and I, Cobb, what was it? We were planning the show, and and John Jones gave up his title. Is that right? I mean, I, I, it felt like that, or it was in pretty close succession, right? Something like that. Um, much, yeah, I think we were in the middle of the call. And so John Jones tweeted, hashtag ESPN Reyes versus Jan, talking about Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovich For the UFC light heavyweight championship of the world, as of right now, I got nothing to really gain fighting either of them. Let me know if you guys want to set up a day in 2021 for that Izzy fight. Hopefully you guys will be willing to pay by then. And a lot of other people were responding for uh, in support of him. Like, so you had Ryan Bader saying, you know, you got to do what's best for you. There's always another option. You can come to Bellator. Um, Dominic Reyes saying disappointing, but you know, the show's got to go on, you know, a lot of different sort of, uh, possibilities there that, you know, you know, the, 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 the leverage that these guys are, are executing against them. If you think about it, 125 vacant, 135 vacant, 144, excuse me, 145, 155, 185. Those people can't leave the country. 205 could be vacant. Heavyweights busy doing another thing. 
you know, it's a tough time for UFC championship uh, situation right now. But John Jones appears to be fed up. And the big dispute over the weekend was whether or not he was entitled to Deontay Wilder money. Sort of that was the key there. So we've got some audio from Dana that I want to play here. Um, we got some cuts. And listen, I, I'll, get, I'll tell you what I feel about the Deontay Wilder part in just a second. But remember, John had accused Dana of lying. He's like, you know, I'm not going to stand for this. So you can go through John's Twitter feed. Like, it's extensive in terms of his accusations that, that White has lied. Dana says it's not true. Cut three, please. What do you do? Who do you believe? It's up to you guys. Fuck what I lie for. What, what, what do I gain in lying about it? Why, why, why would I lie? It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You know, obviously he's fired up right now. And he had a great talk yesterday with, with uh, Hunter, my lawyer, who's, you know, he, he's really close to John Jones and likes him. And they have a good relationship. And they had a good talk yesterday. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I really don't care. I could care less, to be honest with you. Uh, why would he lie? I don't know, man. Dana has kind of fibbed. I mean, it's not exactly new. He, he, I remember years ago when it was the Ultimate Fighter and, uh, and Tito Ortiz was supposed to fight Chuck a second or third time or whatever it was, I think a third time, and they brought in Rich Franklin at the last second. No, excuse me, Tito was out, and then Chuck ended up fighting uh, Rich Franklin. And I remember Dana White lied on the record. And then when he was called on it, he was like, yes, yeah, so what? I lied on the record. I did it for a television show. It's like, well, I mean, I don't know, Dana. You got this track record of doing stuff that under, I'll be clear here. Promoters kind of have to do a little bit of that, to be clear. I mean, that's, you know, if, if telling the truth is a premium in your life, I don't know that I recommend being a fight promoter. But on the other hand, when it comes to like this question of like, who do you believe? It's like, well, I'm not saying that, you know, John Jones is. I reflexively believe everything he's saying either, but if they're just making an argument about what people are entitled to, I'm going to side with the person who's underpaid. And we know for a fact that he is. So there's that. Uh, he goes on to say something that I don't think is wrong, that John could have been the LeBron of MMA cut four. I'm always looking at what, what John Jones could have been, you know, could have been, he could have been the LeBron of the sport. He could have been literally that big, um, you know, the stuff that he's been through to show up and think he, you know, basically demand $15 million or $20 million or $30 million. It's crazy. So he can do whatever he wants to do. He can sit out. He can, he can fight. He can whatever, you know, you know how this works. You guys know how I am. John Jones can say whatever he wants publicly. It's his, it's his God given right here in America. He can say whatever he wants. Um, um, and when he's ready to come back and fight, he can. There you have it. Um, you know, he's sort of playing a little bit of John's misdeeds against him, which are real. That's a thing you can do. Uh, you know, I think we'd all agree with that. And then just sort of being passive aggressive, like, you know, th this is a long way of saying my offer is nothing. When you're ready to fight under the deal, let me know. And if you're not... Have fun on your time off. I'm not budging. Now he gets back into this conversation, you know, because Dana did, by, by Dana's own admission, this is not me saying it, Dana himself has called John Jones the GOAT. So is being the GOAT, like if, if you're the GOAT, don't you get 30 million? Dana White says no, cut five. Being the greatest of all time doesn't mean you get $30 million. Being able to sell. John Jones has done a lot of things to himself. He's saying in one of his tweets, he was saying that I tarnished his. I tarnished you. You've done a very good job of tarnishing you. No, I haven't done that. Um, and, uh, you know, Hunter told him, I'll walk in. You can come in here and walk through the numbers. I'll walk you through all the numbers. And he says, I don't give a fuck what the numbers are. I want what I want. And that's it. It's not how life works. Why don't you guys fly back and tell your boss, I don't give a fuck what this company makes. This is what I want. You're going to give it to me. See how that fucking works out for you. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many problems with that. To start, he's an independent contractor, so calling him your boss uh, is just not the way that this would go, right? And the other part is you are worth whatever you can negotiate for. Now, you might be able to argue pretty effectively that 
John may be righteous to take this stand, but he doesn't have enough leverage to meaningfully alter his salary. And I, I don't know that I would disagree with that. But the question is, who is right here? I'd love to get your perspective. 877-FIGHT-93. I want folks to understand something here. When he says he's not entitled to $30 million, we're talking about what Deontay Wilder made. And the question is, does John Jones deserve Deontay Wilder money? Well, it depends how you want to answer that. Part of what makes Deontay Wilder money, well, Deontay Wilder money, is that there is a certain set of mechanisms in place in boxing that don't exist in MMA, at least not in the way the current contracts are structured. Namely, if you look at what, I mean, here's what you want to say. John Jones's record of sales over the course of his career relative to Deontay Wilder is significantly better. I mean, you could even say the 850000 that he sold against Fury for the, for the rematch. John beat that with the Cormier rematch, number one. And then the other one he did for the first fight was sub 400000 I mean, John's done that a number of times. John's good for almost 500000 or more and has routinely sold as high as 700000 buys. And he's been doing that as a headliner for the better part of 10 years. Like the idea that John hasn't generated the same amount of wealth or attention or gate or pay-per-view buys as Deontay is, is a joke. He is far in excess of it. It's, you know, not even close between the two. However, the reason why, for example, the purse of Deontay Wilder is so high, let me give you an illustrative example. He fought, Wilder did, Dominique Brazil, and uh, knocked him out in round one. It was a vicious KO, because obviously we know Deontay's got incredible punching power. And he fought on Showtime. No, not Showtime pay-per-view, just the linear network. First of all, now the fight was short, so it didn't go above a million views. But can you imagine, do you think if John Jones fought on Showtime, he would do more than a million views. I, I guarantee you he would do more than a million. I bet my life on it, number one. But for that purse, Deontay got between 13 and 18 million. And the reason why is because at the time, there was this dramatic purse bid going on between PBC and Showtime on one side and various other suitors on the other. And so the, the purse went up in a way uh, between the competition to secure Deontay's services, that kind of, you know, what you want to call it, overinflated or reached its maximum value. Because everyone is under the same umbrella in UFC, there, there's, no, there's no mechanism by which to get it higher. So you can say, well, the reason Deontay made more is for circumstances that don't exist in MMA, and that would be true. And I don't think that John Jones can make $30 million on a purse bid um, even if there were a union, I don't think the union is going to extract a 50-50 share from UFC. But if they're currently making around 18%, and you could double that, um, John could make 10 to 12, potentially 15 million. And I think that's all he really is asking for. 30, admittedly, does seem impossible. However, if you want to acknowledge the fact that, like Tom Brady in New England, John has been competing under a discount all these years where he has not been paid uh, the share that he'd be entitled to were this boxing or were there a union, you know, some kind of much more equitable share of the revenue, 30 million seems like a bargain. The UFC has saved that and then some with all the wealth that John has generated. You know, a lot of people think that Conor McGregor is the only draw. To be clear, Conor McGregor is the draw in MMA and certainly far in excess of anyone else, but just because people don't do Conor McGregor numbers don't mean they're not a draw. He has done, John Jones, very solid numbers, very good revenue generation for the vast majority of his career. He has been a pay-per-view draw before, you know, before Deontay Wilder was even on anyone's radar. I mean, this idea that Deontay is more popular is just the imagination of MMA fans because Deontay had a big last fight. That is not what the facts say at all. At all. So you're asking me who's entitled to money. It's pretty clear who's entitled to money. It's John Jones. WWE legend, The Undertaker. I have tried my hardest to protect kayfabe. Honestly, just within the last couple of years, I mean, I would cringe when I would hear people, you know, like we're doing now, like talking openly about behind the scenes stuff. It would just like, I, I'd grit my teeth and this, I think I was the real last holdout to, to kayfabe. Listen to Busted Open's interview with WWE legend, The Undertaker, on demand now via the SiriusXM 
XM app. Just search Busted Open Interviews, now free for most subscribers. We are talking about where Tyron Woodley goes from here, because to be honest with you, I do not know what the answer to that is. Um, Jesus. So we got a Dana White clip. Let me hear what he has to say. So Dana was asked about it after the fights. It's Dana, too, in terms of what's next for Woodley. What does Dana White have to say? He'll determine that. I mean, I, I think that Tyron Woodley worked hard and got in great shape for this fight and took this fight very serious. And, you know, he got dominated tonight. Um, he will drop in the rankings, and we'll, we'll see what's next for him and, and see how he does if he comes back. But, I mean, the guy's 38 years old. He's had huge gaps in his, you know, in his fight time. You know, it's been almost two years, I think, since, since he fought. So um, that's tougher to do as you get older, even if you're a – physical freak like he is yeah, yeah you know what <laughs> Dana's right he's absolutely right uh so let me start this conversation by going to the phones if we can at 877 fight 93 kevin is in pennsylvania and he's wondering what the hell is woodley's future hi kevin hello luke um first time caller i love your show thanks man um woodley woodley upset me on Saturday because you could see in the first round how explosive an athlete he is when a world-class jiu-jitsu guy had him on the ground and he just got up. He got up. He made it look so easy like any one of us could have done it. But he, his hips are so explosive, he, was just, he just got up. And then late in the rounds, he would throw these explosive punches out of nowhere and he would just miss. And like Bisping said, man, if he would have connected on that one, he would have knocked him out. But his mind, like, what, it doesn't seem like he was there throughout the fight. And, and I, I don't know. I don't – he couldn't have been out, outclassed that much that he, he just mentally quit or something. I, I just – I was confused by it. I've never seen Woodley uh, act like that. I, 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 just, I, did, I just didn't know. Yeah, I think it's a fair concern, Kevin, and I appreciate the call. So let's answer this question. Where does Woodley go from here? Now, like anything, whatever I have to say, you know, I'm just some idiot with a microphone. So this is really, of course, now and forever up to him. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to him. And that's the way that it should be. And I'm not even really in the business of like prescribe. This is not to me, you know, listen, when it gets to the point where BJ Penn is getting knocked out by some shirtless redneck outside of a bar called the Lava Shack, you just, you know, you have to call on the promoter to not book this guy, the, the problems that he's having, irrespective of the hit, literal historic losing streak he was on in the octagon, that's a time for you to say, I, I may just be an idiot with a microphone, but if there's enough idiots with microphones and fans who are concerned, you know, at that point, you have an obligation, I think, to say something. People all say, you can never tell another person to retire. Really? You can't tell BJ Penn to retire? You know, we're dealing. I mean, granted, that's a very outlier scenario. I understand that's not common, but at some point, if you don't say something, to me, you are abdicating your responsibility as a, you know, we, the, the only way we get better as a community is when we speak out, when we see injustice, or when we see somebody who is in danger. And he might be endangering himself, but it's danger just the same. Now, I don't feel that way about Tyron, not even close. In fact, you know, listen, he was dominated, but he didn't get. And he got rocked a couple times, but, you know, certainly on the on the level of like brutal beatings, uh, that was not this. It was thorough outclassing. And I'm sure he's in pain physically uh, today, to be clear. But, you know, did did you feel like Tyron was really sacrificing his brain health in this fight? I did not feel that way. You know, again, I don't think he did was. You know, that wasn't like he was taking omega threes in fish oil pills or something. But, you know, listen, we've all seen some brutal beatings. There were much worse ones on that card. That was not that. The problem that Woodley faces is, as I mentioned, it was just a couple of firsts for him on Saturday. So, like, for example, in every case prior to Saturday where he had lost, he not only won the subsequent fight, but he won it by like TKO or KO. Like, he, won, he comes out and wins it emphatically, you know? So here he has the first time in his career, he's lost two in a row, number one. Number two, he got taken down two consecutive fights in a row. And, he, you know, it's one thing to get taken down by Kumaru, who has a lifetime of wrestling. You know, Gilbert Burns didn't pick it up until his 20s. 
and he took Woodley down. That is incredible. Now, Woodley was able to stuff some other ones, and Gilbert obviously is a tremendous talent, but you know, you get my point. Like, that is unusual, extremely unusual. So that's the first time I think that's ever happened to him too, right? Never been taken down consecutively in fights. And then he just got shut out in every way for 10 consecutive rounds. That's, that's, that's nearly an hour of fighting. He just wasn't in. Here's the thing that stands out to me. Like, I'm sure he trained hard. I don't think Dean came on here and lied. Dean is usually, you know, there's not many guys in this business who are honest. Dean's pretty honest. I just, I, you know, everyone was saying, oh, you know, Woodley's got a different energy and, you know, everyone's a lot. I'm not, I'm not, so, I'm not in the business of like body language reading in some kind of expert way, but can I tell you that when people were saying he had a certain fire that I felt it? No. In fact, I felt the opposite. It felt like there was, you know, he was just sort of going through the motions a little bit. And there was a moment there where he got hit in the face. And I mean, you guys remember and he was clapping. It, it was almost like he was trying to get himself into it and he just couldn't. And you know, that's not what he said after the fight. I understand that. I can only tell you what I observed. I just didn't feel like there was competitive fire. And even if there had been, Gilbert Burns was showing the kind of skill that was next level, right? In terms of the totality of what he was offering. So, you know, maybe, maybe Woodley wouldn't have been taken down the second time, but, you know, Burns would have still had success in the stand-up or something. Here's what I'm trying to say. I think if Woodley keeps competing, he's good enough in whatever state he's in to get wins in the UFC, and maybe that's what he wants to do. I don't know. I cannot speak for him. But if the plan here, as he stated, was to make use of the time left in his athletic career to recapture the belt at 170 and then go to 185. Remember, he was talking about taking on Israel Adesanya and stuff like that. I don't think that that, that does not appear to me to be realistic at this stage, you know, he lost to Kamaru and he lost to Gilbert, maybe the two best welterweights on the planet. But he didn't just lose to him. He got dominated by both. If we're talking about where he stands as an elite talent, I don't know that he is anymore. Now, I've been, been on the wrong end of these discussions before when I've buried fighters and said they have no business competing. I'm not prepared to say that. I think that might be a bridge too far. But what I can say is your level of ability should be evaluated. And then your level of ability relative to your goals should be evaluated. And if the goal is I got to compete for a title, I, 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 I don't see it. I don't see how that's going to be possible anytime soon. I don't see who he's going to beat to get back there. And if he does, I don't think he has any shot. You know, I give Woodley all the credit in the world. He is the oldest person to win a UFC title. And in terms of when he lost it, he was the oldest champ. It, later in his athletic career, he was able to do things that his contemporaries were not. And that should be noted. And dude, welterweight is one of the toughest weight classes on earth. And this guy, in my judgment, is either the second or third best ever. Hey, man, the dude did impressive things. And you cannot say otherwise. You could say whatever you want about how he handled his championship run. You could say whatever you want about the last two fights. And, you know, plenty of criticism to go around. But in terms of his success as a welterweight, it is extraordinary. I just don't think that those days are here anymore. It's weird, man. Sometimes as a fighter, you just get old overnight. And that sounds like the least interesting, totally unscientific explanation imaginable but it, it just seems true sometimes your ability to win falls off a cliff and, and remember the cliff he was on was the highest one it was at the highest level i still think he can beat like what ufc welterweights maybe even some ranked ones you know at the bottom of the top 10 or the top 15 somewhere in there you might be able to do that but the margin of error at the space he's in is slim and he's way behind these guys now. And you know, you keep doing that. You're just going to take beatings where you're going to get half your purse. You're going to, you know, he got cut up real bad in this one. Granted, it's not a terrible scar because it was right over the eyebrow line. So, 
you know, they stitch that up. It's not going to be like disfiguring in some way, but dude, you're headed to a place where you're not only not going to win, you're going to get abused and embarrassed and discouraged along the way. So really it's up to him. If the goal is to rich Franklin, this thing out and, you know, see who he can beat while he's still got an ability to compete at a reasonably high level, then I don't really think there's any issue with that. I think he's got good reason to, to consider that. But if the goal this whole time was, I'm going to get my belt back, you know, I think it's, he, he mentioned he had a long look in the mirror about what went wrong against Kamaru. And then they were determined to fix that this time out. Well, it's time to have another one of those conversations. And this time it's about, you know, what is even possible at this stage. So is he done? Depends what you mean by done. Is he an elite contender in my judgment at welterweight? No, he is not. And it's painful, but it's cliche too. Father time is undefeated, folks. He never loses. Boxing, culture, lifestyle. The Yakin Barak Show. Floyd Mayweather a while back was kind of discrediting young fighters that are calling Manny out. And that's what Floyd's about. That's why Floyd fought Conor McGregor. Because it's business. It's about making the biggest payday. All these fighters want to fight each other. But there's a reason they're calling out Manny. And you can't blame him, especially after the win he had against Keith Thurman, man. It's a business, man. It's prize fighting. Weekdays from noon till 3 Eastern. Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Let's get to it now. One of the best coaches in the game. I think that is a fact. Certainly had a great weekend over at the UFC Apex. I think he went undefeated, if uh, memory serves. He is from Denver, Colorado. It is the one and only Mark Montoya. Hi, Mark. How are you? What's up, Luke? I'm good. How are you, man? I'm doing okay. Let's start with the weekend. It went really well for you. Uh, Chris Gutierrez, my goodness. What a completely dominant performance. What a showcase of modern MMA striking skills, the full repertoire. I mean, how is that kid not further along in his career? I was blown away by him. Well, you know, Chris is an exceptional kid, number one. And number two, he's uh, obviously an amazing fighter and athlete. He, the thing that they didn't, they didn't know it at the beginning, but I think one of the things that's been kind of overlooked is Chris, about eight, nine months ago, uh, had ACL surgery, and he was, uh, he was down and out, obviously, and he hadn't been on the mat, and, you know, he's coming back from ACL surgery. And so, you know, that's a, that's a tough injury in, in MMA. It's, it's a long injury, meaning, you know, you, sometimes you're out eight to 12 months. And for him to turn back around in an in a eight-and-a-half, nine-month time period and, and look the way he looked and – showcase his skills like he did i i'm just super proud of his effort that he's put in to even get step foot back in the cage and then to go out there and and make a statement like he did and and really stick to the game plan it just shows the maturity that he has gained and and gotten and man he's such a special special fighter that we have here and he's you know he's one of the the many but one of the future factory x fighters that uh are 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 just showing out here in the UFC. Now, when when you went into this fight, was the plan to stick to the kicks the way he the way he did, or was that he just realized it was working? So if it's not broken, don't fix it. No, the game plan was to do what he did. He, you know, the game plan was to attack like he was attacking uh, with his with his kicking. He's a really dynamic kicker. Obviously, he's got good hands, and he's a really well rounded MMA fighter. But um, his kicking, we were able to really utilize in that fight just based on Vince's, Vince Morales' skills and what he brings to the table. Vince is super tough and, and an amazing uh, amazing fighter himself. I know that, you know, Chris made it, made it look pretty easy, but um, that's, not, that's not, you know, taking nothing away from Vince because he's such an amazing fighter. It's just Chris stuck to the game plan. Uh, there was one point in the fight where, he was he kind of brawled a little bit with with Vince and and that's where we absolutely would didn't want Chris to be because of of you know the athlete that Chris is so he he backed up and refocused and then went back in and and executed the game plan and and with the way everything's been lately with Corona and and just training being weird and different than what we normally are used to uh, it's just a testament that to him on 
just his preparation, staying mentally and physically ready, and then obviously rehabbing back from a, a, a crappy knee injury. Yeah, in terms of what you guys are able to do at your gym, I don't know what the situation is in Colorado in terms of what the law requires. What are you guys able to do in terms of you know, getting your fighters ready? Because they're having some success, uh, but you know, it can't be easy. Yeah, it's been it's the, the whole thing's been such a shit show. I mean, it's at the end of the day that where we're at right now is we we're limited to small groups of four, and you know that I have a ten thousand square foot facility, and it doesn't matter if if a gym has a two thousand square foot facility or the size of mine, you're limited to four people in the building, and obviously, um, you know there there's the protocol of you know, we're temperature ch- testing kids coming in or students coming in and out of here. And, you know, we're, we're taking logs of that. And, um, you know, they're, they're having to do some distancing stuff. And uh, regular students, you know, obviously aren't grappling and wrestling or any of that stuff. And so we're doing a lot of bag work and, and those kind of things. So um, today, though, the governor is getting on uh, TV today, and they're supposed to announce some new protocols for gyms. So we're hoping there will be some type of like percentage capacity or increase the numbers from the tiny numbers we have now to bigger numbers. That would help a lot. So, you know, that's what, that's our hopes, and we're just waiting to hear that. And in terms of how the safety protocol was in Jacksonville versus Nevada, could you feel a big difference, or was it more or less the same? No, it was a big difference. Um, Jacksonville obviously was stringent. The testing was stringent, just like it was in Vegas. Uh, you know, we're getting tested multiple times a day. Um, the the mask thing is, is hilarious to me, given the fact that if everybody in the hotel and everybody in the arena is negative and, and has been negative for um, days on end, why are we wearing masks? Um, you know, and so... That thing, I think, is more perception is reality thing, in my opinion. But uh, it was a, it, it was stringent in in Florida, but it was it was way more stringent in Vegas. Hmm. Interesting. Mark Montoya joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. Now, also, as I understand it, Brandon Royville is as uh, one of your guys, right? That's he's one of your understudies. Yes. He is. You know, the cool part about Brandon is I've been training him since he was. 16. He, uh, he, for, so for the last 10 years, you know, I've been training him. I remember Brandon riding his, his bicycle to practice when he was a teenager and just coming in there and, and just loved to train. And he's never changed that kid. He's just grown obviously into a man, but, um, he's never changed just his spirit and his coachability and, and who he is. And so, man, that was a special night for me to, to watch two of my young up and coming fighters go out and impress themselves and, and have performances like that. And obviously that's a tough call. That's a tough call up to go fight your debut against Tim Elliott, who, you know, arguably gave Demetrius Johnson, one of his toughest matchups in the cage, obviously other than Cejudo beating him, that was a, that was a really tough scrap um, on Tim's part. And I know Tim well, because uh, I've, I've trained James Krause and I've trained Tim, you know, just a little bit and he's come to my gym before. And so, uh, Tim is super tough and, and to see Brandon go out there and, and look composed and, um, make some good adjustments and get a second round finish on, on, you know, the number 11, uh, in his division, that that's a big deal. And someone that's fought for a title and did really well, you know, kudos to Tim. He's an amazing athlete and, I was just so proud of someone that is homegrown like that in Brandon and, and, you know, watching him be a teenager to, you know, when I picked him up in the cage, uh, we weren't, we weren't celebrating for 30 seconds in the air. We were actually bantering back and forth because he was upset at his performance telling me so much better than that coach and pissed at myself. And one of the things I told him was I said, what, what is, what does it say on your gloves? You know? And he said, UFC, I said, that's exactly what you've been talking about since you were 16 don't don't steal the joy or rob the joy from this victory let's go uh let's go enjoy this and absolutely let's get better but um wins are hard to come by so let's enjoy all this and it's pretty funny we had that banter there in the cage while i was uh while i was picking him up 
Also, like, aside from all of the factors working against him, right, pandemic, he doesn't do this full time, as I understand, uh, short notice. I mean, you could list a thousand things. You know, what really sort of stood out in this fight, maybe even more than some other fights, it wasn't exactly a secret, but it was just really on full display here, uh, Mark, was that Tim is a really unusual grappler. He was going for, like, backwards crucifixes or, like, upside-down versions of them. He's got some, like, standard takedown entries, but he has weird things he wants to do with them. That's a that's a kind of guy where even if you beat him, he's probably going to take you out of your game for parts of it. He's just not easy to fight even if you win. Yeah, you know, I think Tim's handle on all of his social media have some type of, it says awkward something, and I think that, <laughs> that just describes <laughs> Tim well. He's a quirky dude anyway. He's funny. I like, I love Tim. Um, but he's awkward, man. And it, it doesn't work for anyone else, but it works for him. And so, yeah, I knew going into that, we, we had a few things we wanted to do game plan wise, but mostly what we concentrated on with Brandon and I've trained him for so long that he and I are really, really well connected that, um, you know, it was just working on, on Brandon's game and, and making sure he was sharp mentally and ready to go do that. You know, it's a, he, to, on short notice, you even though he was being regular and active, even during the coronavirus thing, you know he had a, he had a decent amount of weight to cut. So, you know, we were just focusing on things we could control. You know, what, whether Tim's awkward or not, we already knew that, and we have no control of that. So we just wanted we just wanted Brandon to go out there and control the things he could, and he did a great job of doing. It. And he made some good adjustments in the first because you know we lost the first round, and and I kind of figured we would, to be honest with you. Uh, Brandon couldn't establish his striking like he normally does, and uh, he was kind of he was trying to kill him. I think some of that was just the 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 nervousness of being in the UFC and wanting to impress. And so, um, but it was cool, man. I I've never had a debut fighter that's fought for me have the opportunity to you know Dana White call him and say hey man and call him into his room and and want to talk to him specifically about you know who he is and his performance and. Um, you know, obviously Dana sees what we know about Brandon and he's a special, special talent. Uh, and I can't wait for people to watch him fight because he's so exciting. Yeah, certainly even what he showed in LFA was was pretty exemplary. Uh, Mark Montoya joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. All right, Mark, I got to talk to you about some of the controversy from a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, I don't know if you had any opportunity to speak out about it. So I'll just sort of like, you know, uh, pass the microphone to you and say, Related to the Smith and Teixeira fight, there was some you know pretty heavy criticism about whether the fight should have been stopped. I know Anthony spoke out and said he wouldn't have had anything go any differently. We've all got our own opinions, but uh, what do you think about uh, everything now that you had some time to reflect on it? Well, you know that the the thing is is that um, I made a decision, and uh, and that's that's what that's what happened. And uh, the bottom line is. You know, if you're going to continue to what I call dare greatly, you're going to sometimes you're going to you're going to win, and sometimes you're going to lose. And and when you dare greatly, man, you sometimes get your ass kicked. And then uh, you can't have courage without vulnerability, right? And so, um, you know, the the bottom line is uh, people are have opinions, and that's fair. I I know behind the scenes uh, what's going on. I know my athlete and. Um, whether the criticism is fair or not, at the end of the day, all we can do from a situation uh, on a win or a loss is get better. And so uh, the path I've taken is uh, we, have to, we have to continue to grow and get better from uh, every fight, whether it's the two impressive wins we just had over the weekend or in uh, an, the Anthony Smith fight that we just had. So um, a lot of factors in, in that fight and um, – you know, we try to control the controllables, and unfortunately, we weren't successful in winning a fight like we have been. And I, I, what I will say about about Anthony Smith is, I started training Anthony in 2017, and um, Anthony Smith and I have lost a couple fights together. That's it. He is uh, he is he's got a 94% finishing rate. He's fought for a world title against the best uh, mixed martial artist ever, in my opinion, and. Um, I think the body of work that has, has gone into uh, both ends on Anthony's end and myself and my, co- my coaching staff's end, uh, that body of work since 2019 has 
speaks volumes of what um, we are, have been able to accomplish and what we've learned and, and you know, how we're going to grow. So um, that's really, that's really my, uh, my PC answer to what you're asking me. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess I'll, let me just ask this. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Coach. I, I, I didn't need to see a fifth round. I know I didn't go very far into the fifth. Um, although I think that what's kind of interesting to me is I think that this fight m- makes us reconsider what intelligent defense is because Anthony made a point that, like, he was obeying the referee's instruction uh, up until the moment where I think Glover took him out and was raining down strikes, which is the point at which it got stopped. And I don't think he's wrong. I think he's right about that. Still, I, you know, I, I'll just be I'll be candid and I say I thought it should have been stopped a little bit earlier. However, I, I just want to sort of ask this is like, what would it take for you to stop a fight like that you didn't see here? Well, I think that I think the only thing I can tell you is I can use an example. I think it's funny that um People, if you're going to criticize somebody, you better know the history. So, for example, uh, Dustin, uh, Dustin Jacoby is a fighter of mine. Dustin Jacoby has fought in the UFC. He's fought in every um, major promotion there is. He fought glory. Simon Marcus in glory kickboxing. Yep. Yep. He fought Simon Marcus in glory kickboxing for the world title, uh, by the way. And as you guys know, um, you've had me on here enough times to know that as a coach, uh, my goals are to continue to, uh, you know, create world champions in life, but also world champions in the cage. And so, and in the ring, of course, like what we're talking about, glory. Uh, Dustin Jacoby was beating Simon Marcus, just so uh, yourself and your audience knows. And Dustin Jacoby uh, had an amazing uh, performance against Simon as, as, as we were in that fight. And again, not the world title fight. Uh, Dustin Jacoby comes back to the corner, says, Coach, I think I might have broke my forearm. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it, and I grab it, and I'm like, man, I could sort of feel a stair stepping off, I think. I can't tell if it's fluid or not. And then I'm messing with it in the corner, and I'm like, man, uh, Dustin, I think your arm's broken. I said, listen, if your arm's broken, fight's over. And uh, Dustin's like, no way, man. Uh, I'm good. I can do this. And I said, Dustin, if uh, that, that arm is broken, we are, uh, it's definitely off. I said, I'm calling the doctor over. So I called the doctor over, and I said, doc, is his arm broken? He said, yes. And uh, obviously called the fight. So the thing about it is uh, I'm knowledgeable. Uh, I've, I've coached thousands of fights. Uh, I've been doing this a long time. Um, that's an instance where uh, this wasn't just a regular old fight. This is a world title that I absolutely wanted to win. So did Dustin. And we were winning, by the way. And, uh, and we, we, we called that fight off. So to answer your question, um, in, in that type of situation, I would call a fight off. Well, we're up against a break. We got to go, Coach. We really appreciate your time. Congratulations on all your success. I know you'll be out there for UFC 250, and uh, we appreciate all of your candor. Luke Thomas Show. Until next time, all your games be loyal. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at LThomasNews and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.